Welcome to the Fod Eater Fod Path. <laughs> hey, everybody. It's Froth here, Thought Eater Podcast and Blog. Happy Sunday. Thank you very much for listening. And happy Father's Day to all the gamer dads out there. Hope you've got uh, some time with your families lined up. Maybe get spoiled a little bit, you know. Nothing wrong with that. It's only once a year, right? <laughs> so, um, we had a great session last night. It was a lot of fun. Wrapped up this whole orc thing and really wrapped up the first book of the Night Below campaign set. Just checking this show out for the first time on Sundays. I recap the events of my campaign that we run on Saturday nights. And I'm running the second edition era Night Below box set. It's just a huge mammoth adventure, uh, campaign in one kind of deal. And, uh, took us over a year, but we're first through that first book. So we're going to talk about that. And, um, but first I got a call from Shane Ward from, uh, Gilligan's Isle of ADD, a legendary Anchorite podcast here on Anchor. Uh, Shane makes mention of a rake. There's this, uh, almost near near mythical status rake now uh, from our campaign that uh, that uh, the party used I think they I think they valued that rake more than some of their characters but uh, it made for a lot of comedic situations um, over the campaign um, but anyway so Shane's got a, a tale from Shane's campaign here regarding the pan of glory. So let's listen to that real quick. Hey, Jeremy, uh, it's Shane calling. Listen, <clears throat> I laughed so hard at the rake. I have to tell you about the pan of glory. So we were playing in uh, 5e, the uh, abyss one. Um, and so one of the characters, one of the NPCs was one of these like fish people, no fish, uh, plant people. So he used photosynthesis and water to like, um, basically feed himself. I'm totally going to pull a Jackson here. So we go to this bar in the Underdark, and uh, so we have all these, you know, NPCs with us, and we're going to drink and stuff. And so this bartender's asking us, like, what does everybody want? And, of course, this one NPC is like, well, I'll just have some water, um, you know, photosynthesis and sunlight and stuff. So anyway, one sec. So basically, we have to talk the bartender into getting us a pan so we can put some water in it for this random plant NPC. Get the pan, guys. Hung drinks. He's totally cool. Anyway, fast forward like later, we have to deal with some other NPCs and we have to tell stories, right? So then we, the one bard, he's telling the story, like the history of the pan of glory. And then it became this long-running joke, like, anytime we needed to talk to an NPC or if we were going to trade for anything or whatever, it was like, the pan of glory, you know, which we never traded. And then at one point, I think somebody died and we had to, like, retrieve it and carry it with us. Uh, and it may have made an appearance in another one, another adventure. It was, uh, I don't know, so silly. But it was just this long-running, like, terrible Monty Python thing. Shane, thanks for the call and uh, stuff like that is really the magic of D&D, you know, magic of a campaign, it's stuff that you can't predict or plan or 
would never in a million years think of. And it just, uh, becomes these memories and these shared things between the group. And, uh, so I appreciate that. So yeah, last night, if you've been listening to the last few episodes, it's all been all focused on these orcs and this orc lair. It's kind of blocking the way. Well, they don't really know what, uh, what it was blocking, but it's behind these two huge doors that they had found these two pieces of a key for. And they made one assault on the orc lair before and had taken out you know, close to 30 orcs and had had to kind of retreat away. And then they'd scouted ahead the last session uh, via an invisibility spell and kind of gotten an idea of the layout of the, the lair. And there was uh, one chamber with 25 female orc fighters led by a uh, witch doctor, you know, shaman type. There was a huge orog, half orc, half ogre, that rides a cave lizard named Garunzer. And then there were three, two ch- like a chief and a couple of orc, uh, orc priests that had uh, managed to become invisible themselves. They were in another chamber, along with a kidnapped priest from the village of Milbourne named Sam Hayes. And... So this was really coming down to it. So the, the party just strategized just a little bit out the front door. Um, I had mentioned a couple sessions ago, um, Lanix, the magic user, was given a scroll with uh, Rary's Mnemonic Enhancer, which is a spell that allows you to prepare an extra three levels of spells. So realizing they were dealing with high numbers of kind of low hit dice creatures, you know, basically fodder for sleep spells. So, um, Lanix went ahead and read, read the scroll and it allowed, it was smart to do that. It allowed him to prepare extra spells, extra low level spells, which he did. Got some extra sleep spells. Like I'd mentioned before, that's a great scroll to throw into a a game. Um, it's high enough level to where if you give it to a low level party there, it's going to burn a hole in their pocket that, magic user unless they're very patient and very forward thinking is not going to save it for maybe a year or more of campaign time and it can give them a boost when they need it it's a good nice kind of powerful one shot you know one use item you can put in a, in a game um, so anyway the party just rushes in kind of hugging the cave walls to try to avoid being shot by the orcs from a distance the orcs send a volley of uh, crossbow bolts down the hallway two of them catch Xanril the cleric. <laughs> so he's wounded coming, you know, coming in, you know, down like 10 hit points or something. But they, uh, they rush into the cavern where the, the main group of orc, female orc fighters and the, the shaman are. And now I kind of assumed based on the last time there was a, a big battle that, uh, you know, it took a couple of hours really it was you know epic I, I, I imagine this one would take a long time as well but it actually in play it it happened very very quickly um so what happens is they get in there and they win initiative once they get you know they get close to the orcs and so 
I do like uh, BX initiative. So once you, you know, it's D6 side based and then range attacks, spells, melee. So the first volley of ranged attacks, the uh, um, uh, Terran the Ranger hunks a spear straight through one's stomach dead and rushes into towards battle trying to get back to the uh the witch doctor um some the 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 men at arms shoot their crossbows catch a couple you know bolt in the eye this kind of thing and then immediately lanix the magic user casts sleep rolls the hit dice 10 gets 10 of them in one go so 10 just immediately drop asleep it's like whoa so they've already wiped out before they've even acted basically they've already wiped out half the or you know half the you know the cannon fodder style orcs cast moves into um combat and uh The Xanril goes ahead and heals himself some after after uh, taking some damage. So then the orcs get a go, and the 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 main orcs do a little damage, not much, but uh, the witch doctor does get off a hold person spell and tries to cast at three of them: Lanix, Cast the fighter, and Terran the ranger. And Cass and Terran both fail their saves, so they're frozen in place, just, you know, paralyzed. Lanix, luckily for the party, though, passes his save. So Lanix, uh, if Lanix had gone down there, down right then, that could have gotten really ugly. But anyway, they got two of them frozen, you know, two of them held right now. So meanwhile, Garunzer is coming up the hallway riding the cave lizard. So second round starts, and um, Father Marcos turns to Garunzer. We had already decided that Hold Person would work against an Orog. Orog is a second edition thing, so I didn't really bother reading how the Hold Person spell works in second edition, but an Ogre would be too big for it as far as first edition, but an Orc is not. But as I just ruled that as the Orog is really listed under the Orc, stat um stat section in the uh second edition uh monster book that it's closer to an orc than an ogre and so it would work and so um garunzer i can't believe if he passed his first one but he eventually failed it so garunzer fails a saving throw before it could even do anything but the the cave lizards still charging on, you know, with Grunzer just bouncing on the back, um, frozen. Um, the, uh, no, no, what happened? Sorry about this. It's all coming back to me now. Uh, Father Marcos first, uh, was able to cast hold person on the witch doctor, tried it on the witch doctor and Grunzer at the same time. The witch doctor failed, Grunzer passed. So Grunzer's still coming. Um, and then I believe it was Xanril then cast a hold person on Garunzer on their turn. That's what happened. So they had both. So, you know, as quick as you can blink, both the witch doctor and Garunzer are held and paralyzed. Uh, the cave lizard is still charging on. Meanwhile, 
Lanix casts Sleep again. Again rolls the hit dice. 10 down. Boom. So Lanix has put 20 orcs to sleep in two turns. This, I was going to, you know, kind of try to delay the priests and uh, the, the chieftain coming in, but with uh with how fast this was happening uh they had to come into the battle so one comes visible they don't know what happened but uh, it cast heat metal on father marcos so father marcos starts to feel a little uncomfortable more on that in a minute then uh the chief who's invisible just kind of walks up invisible to lanix and strikes him you know just automatically and comes visible and uh, with the damage that uh, the chief did with his axe, he's got like this axe with a that's made out of a skull. And with that, it dropped Lanix, so the magic user's down. And then the cave lizard comes charging in, you know, with Gorunzer just kind of strapped to it, just hobbling, you know, bouncing along, you know, completely stiff. And hits twice on Xanril. Bite hits and then stomps and so Xanril's down so now the party there were six of them last night the only player that missed was Cyril so they've got their two toughest melee fighters both held and magic user and cleric down the only one still up is Marcos and Puck the other priest then casts an awesome spell pyrotechnics huh this spell not one that sees a ton of play, at least in my experience, but a great spell because you can basically cast on a light source and cause these fireworks and everything that can basically do a mass blinding effect, which is what happens. So you cast it on one of the uh, um, man-at-arms torches, and it causes all these you know, fireworks and shooting lights everywhere. I rule that since Puck can speak orc, that Puck had a chance to duck away and not look, and uh, but Marcos is blinded. So the situation was, you know, there was two party members that were free to act, and uh, the, the two priests and the chieftain on the orc side. Now there are twenty plus orcs down now at this point. And Garunzer, the the you know the hero, and the witch doctor, like the spiritual center of the the party, down. And so here, you know, honestly, if the orcs orc leadership had pressed their advantage here, it could have been a TPK. But I looked at it realistically. These orcs had had first all the males of the tribe, twenty five plus, you know, thirty plus. And three cave lizards die in an earlier battle. Now they're looking at their chief, their their champion, Orog, uh, uh, out of commission. Their shaman priestess, out of commission, and then all the females also dead in the room, or you know, or sleep, basically dead. And so. I just had them run like hell and flee. Uh, it made sense to me, even though, I mean, you know, you think about that, you see 50 dead, your whole tribe and everything wiped out. It made sense for me to have them 
have them run, but it made sense in another way too, because, you know, it's not about pulling punches on the party or whatever. We have had plenty of player deaths, but it is about fun too. And, <clears throat> and something, there's also, it's not, uh, like when deaths happen in my games, usually it feels right or it feels fitting. Sometimes there'll be players make a bad decision or even just bad luck. But in this case, it seemed, what seemed more fitting is that they would flee given the 50 plus dead plus their spiritual leadership and everything else to have pressed the advantage at that point would seem a little, I don't know, fun is probably is the part of the, is, you know, the main thing of the game. And I just don't think it would have been fun to, you know, try to get, just get, wipe out the entire party because where would that leave us? Uh, you know, I'm going to start over with an entire new party and trying to do all these, backstories and bring them back in and get you know get this by that time the orc lair would be abandoned anyway and but it wasn't a hard decision to make and it wasn't i didn't make the decision based on uh should i kill the party or not it wasn't it was more at that point they had a chance to get away their entire tribe and and uh you know most powerful you know most you know, most powerful, uh, members were all dead. And so to me, it made sense to have them flee. But meanwhile, the last couple of rounds that, that armor had gotten hotter and hotter. So Marcos had to take it off after taking some damage. If you've got a good, you know, combat's going to take a little while, take a few rounds, that heat metal, that's, that's good stuff. I loved all those spells that heat metal pyrotechnics. It's great. The one spell that I was reminded about how much it sucks for players is hold person because he had Cass and, and Terran basically frozen for, you know, two or three rounds. The combat was over fast. Like I said, this was over, it was 20 minutes or something. It was way faster than I anticipated, but that's what happens when you put 20 orcs to sleep and everybody else is held. But it reminded me of fourth edition. There's a status effect called stun where... You basically can't act, you can't attack, can't do anything. And I removed stun from my games for both players and monsters because it just kind of sucks to, you know, just be sitting there, your round comes, and you can't literally can't do anything. But hold person is iconic, and it is one of the only real powerful offensive spells for clerics at low levels and everything. So it remains in the game, but I always feel shitty using it, you know. Pardon my French. Don't feel what great about using it. Um, so didn't feel great about them being pulled out of combat, but it didn't take didn't take too long. It's just one of those spells where I mean, it's one thing to be you know dead or dying on the floor like uh, Terran and and uh, like uh, Lanix and Xanril were, but it's another thing to just be you know just standing there doing nothing because you're paralyzed or whatever. But it's part of the game just uh let's just say i'm glad that combat was over fast instead of them just standing there for you know an hour of combat that wouldn't be my idea of fun i don't think anybody would enjoy that so the party you know they were down to 
they were down to a blind father Marcos and Puck uh, and, and Puck finished off the cave lizard because the cave lizard had gotten blinded by the pyrotechnics too so Puck had gotten on top of it and stuck his stuck his dagger in its head and just gave it a sickening twist once it got it in the brain Puck had leveled up and had a you know three times backstab now so Puck was uh, Puck is coming along uh, so anyway with the uh, the three orc leaders fleeing um it kind of cut down on what the party was able to get treasure wise because they had some good stuff on them but they still first of all uh found sam hayes you know bound up and freed sam hayes and then they got uh, this really nice plus two long spear off of garunzer uh there were these claws that the uh, priestess wore that uh, you can wear and attack twice per round with them so those are cool claws of luthic i guess those are a luthic i guess is some kind of orc deity or something i gotta look that up exactly what the deal with these things is but i just rule you know they're they'll allow someone to attack twice around without penalty um, so that's nice and they found some stuff that they already have nicer stuff than but they can at least sell it or you know have gotten xp for it so there's like a plus one suit of chain mail there's a uh plus one battle axe a couple of healing potions potion of extra healing and then a bunch of uh gold and loot and jewelry and stuff like that so with everything added together it's going to be one of those boom xp sessions um so all in all i'm pretty pleased with how it went uh but i could say again i was very surprised with how fast it went like i was anticipating this taking up most of the session and it did not so it was kind of like okay um it reminded me kind of of running uh call of cthulhu because sometimes with that game you know it's it's shocking how fast how much gets accomplished in such a small time and you're like oh well i didn't read ahead for this but I'd read ahead some, but uh, as we were coming to the end of the first book, I, I anticipated just uh, this being the, the whole session, and it wasn't that way. So when I come back from this quick break, I'll tell you all what happened next. And now a word from our sponsors. So the <clears throat> the party was basically kind of counting the loot and freed Sam Hayes, you know, who was, of course, you know, praise be to St. Cuthbert. Oh, thank you, St. Cuthbert, for sending them to to set me free and meanwhile on the back of the passageway where the the main orc leaders were there's kind of like hewn and hewn stairs and the leading down deeper into the darkness the underdark and just seemingly out of the walls just kind of coming out of the walls they're, they're like imperceptible invisible or a bunch of these little snurf neblins uh, the the deep gnomes and so uh, they have like this ability where they can, you know, they've got like brown or gray skin and they can just kind of blend into walls. And a bunch of them come out. I'm picturing like munchkins from Wizard of Oz or something. They come out, oh, hello, hey. You know, doop, doop, doop. Have them singing some little song. Doop, 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 dee, dee. Hello, hello, hello. These little snurf neblins. And so they come out and they're like, yeah, yeah, you know, how are you? It's nice to meet you. I'm Bobbin. I'm Bibby, you know, and I'm Weird Gerald. So I had one named Weird Gerald, just they refer to as Weird Gerald, who just kind of 
doesn't look quite right. Has one eye that's not doing it. It's doing its own thing. (laughs) So the the party, especially Puck, kind of took a liking to Weird Gerald. And um, basically the Snurf Neblin talked to the party a little bit, asked the party what they've accomplished so far, and so Father Marcos kind of explains what the party's done and everything, and the Snurf Neblin explained that the reason they ask is, uh, you know, they want to help the party, but they don't want to get slaughtered, and they, they've seen some adventurers come and go before, and, uh, and and not be able to take on what's in the depth, so they, they're holding back information, in other words, until the party can prove themselves worthy. But they do confirm to the party that um, the mind flayers have something to do with this, but the mind flayers even are not the most powerful thing, you know, in the depths going on. But that spellcasters are, in fact, as they've kind of figured out for themselves, but, you know, spellcasters are being captured and taken, you know, deeper into the depths for, for an unknown purpose. And so the Snurf Neblin encouraged the party to, you know, go back to town, regroup, heal, <clears throat> get as many much supplies as they can, and then come back and meet them when they're ready. <clears throat> Excuse me. So the party um, takes off. To, they wanted to get Sam Hayes back to Melbourne anyway, so the party kind of it takes a full day's travel just to get back to um, Kuiper's farm and then another half day's travel to get back to Milburn. And on the way to Milburn, they uh, roll a random encounter, but it just, cause it's a civilized area it ends up being pilgrims. And I just have them be, you know, uh, acolytes of St. Cuthbert. They were heading to, to Milburn because, you know, Sam Hayes has been missing and they reunite with Sam Hayes, you know, hugged them. And so the party comes in like completely triumphant to Milbourne. They're bringing back Sam Hayes. They've just wiped out the orcs. All the townsfolk are flooding the, uh, you know, flooding the streets and everything. Lord Carmen comes out and declares that the next day is going to be a, you know, a a day of no work, a a day of feasting to celebrate what the party's done. All the doors, all the businesses are completely open to the party, whatever they need. Carmen, uh, uh, there's a couple of funny things. So, if you've listened to this show before, there's all these events with 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 uh, Cass's former character Moshi with these chickens. You know, she had a chicken named Henrietta that loved her but hated uh, hated whoever hated Father Marcus's previous character Mabeldob, and so it's completely metagame it makes no sense for it but he presents her with cast with a chicken that immediately kind of pecks at father marcos so i just enjoy that chicken thing so much that i just put it back into the game it makes no narrative sense it's you know but i took my opportunity to reintroduce a chicken to the game and i'm not going to apologize for that i want that chicken that doesn't like father marcos <laughs> Uh, but, uh, something I'd forgotten about too, when they were recounting their accomplishments to the Snurf Nebula and, uh, Zanril, you know, they're talking about creatures they killed and Zanril's like, oh, and we also killed some Vulchlings. And I just had the Snurf Devil be like, oh yes, Gygax was very lazy when he wrote the Vulchlings, you know, breaking down the 
fourth wall or whatever. Because, uh, I don't know, I mentioned the Vulchlings a few episodes ago. It's like the one of the lamest monsters of all time. Lazy, I should say. The Vulchlings, which are nearly identical to vultures and uh, are said to have humanoid, you know, humanoid features, but they're imperceptible in the, in the image. And, uh, so anyway, there was some humor there, uh, with the chicken and with the vulchlings and, and, um, this was all just off the cuff having the celebration and everything. And, and uh, the player that plays father Marcus had a good suggestion as we were, you know, at the end of this book and everything, kind of the end of a major chapter of the campaign, you know, to remember and think about the, the characters that had gone before or whatever. And so we looked back through my notes and thought about the different characters and talked about them a little bit. And there, we had six deaths uh, of characters so far. And, uh, so we kind of recounted those. And then the, uh, we also had a player and I mentioned this in a previous, um, podcast had an actual player who passed away mojo who is a awesome awesome guy and uh played in campaigns of mine for years and uh, they passed away just a couple months into the campaign and um so what i had done is is made that day in the campaign it's the 12th of any month in the greyhawk be the day of saint mojo and it's a day where um good things happen to players there's luck and uh kind of a i made him the like patron saint of 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 chance and luck and gaming and so there's little luck in the air good things usually happen to the players they get a free re-roll that day and then just kind of luck is on their side so and it's coming up on the 12th as well so we talked a little bit about about joe and and just uh how the campaign had gone so far and i, I thought that was good i'm really glad that uh the player that plays Father Marcos suggested doing that. It, it, it was good to look back on their accomplishments and look back on, because uh, uh, it's been over a year of games, so it, it was good. Um, so the party kind of gets their stuff together and heads back, you know, knowing they're entering the next chapter. They know that the Snurf Nebulon can be, you know, good allies, can help them. They already, Snurf Nebulon already told them that they will be able to help with uh, information as well as likely food and water and, and that kind of thing. Kind of looks like they're going to kind of shift to being the, I don't know, home base or whatever. So they're not having to leave, you know, go all the way from the pits, bowels of the Underdark, all the way back to Melbourne anymore. So it's kind of like closing the, closing the chap, you know, closing the book on the whole first piece. So, Kitty, what are you doing? Sorry about that. Kitty was acting crazy for a minute. So, they return back to the Orc Caverns. I do roll a random encounter on the way when they're in the cavern, but it came up with a uh, Caterwall from the Fiend Folio. And... This is a creature that can be pretty much invisible. And since they weren't going to notice it, well, first I rolled a Hydra, which was like, eh, it just didn't fit because it, 
you know, you don't have, I don't have to, no one has to use exactly what comes up on a random table. And it was just like, oh, and all of a sudden there's this ton this cave that they've been going back and forth in. Like, uh oh, all of a sudden there's a hydra in there. It just didn't make sense. And then the second thing I rolled was this caterwaul creature that I, I, I just thought to myself, if it sees this large party, you know, 10 deep coming through and it can stay hidden, it's not going to just attack for no reason just to get itself killed. So they didn't, you know, while they could have encountered something, they, they didn't. And, uh, so they make it back. Uh, and it's, it's like, uh, the, um, the day of the 10th, I believe. So no, yeah, the, they spent the whole day of the 10th traveling. So the next day when they wake up, they're going to, we just ended it where they'll on the day of the 11th, that's when they're going to meet back up with a snurf neblin and enter in the next chapter of it. So they'll have a day before the, the, the day of St. Mojo, uh, which is a, a really good day to be fighting something. You know, you don't want to be doing some boring overland travel on the day of St. Mojo. You want to be in the thick of something. So you get that reroll and you get all the kind of lucky stuff that happens to you. Something I really like about the campaign and it's a good way to honor, uh, honor Mojo. So, so they don't know what the Snurf Noble had have in mind, but they, they're, they're going to be at, you know, they've asked them to do something for them to prove themselves to them, prove themselves worthy of their help. Uh, because they're afraid if they aid some low level schmoes that, uh, it's going to lead, lead stuff to them and, and get their whole, you know, group of gnomes slaughtered. So the party will have to wait and listeners will have to wait to see what that is for, for next time. All in all, I have to say I've enjoyed this, uh, can, you know, campaign uh, quite a bit. There are some pieces that I've ignored that, um, you know, little side quests, a few things like that, that just weren't particularly interesting. But there's a lot that has been good, um, a lot um, that I quite like. And I think it does a, about as well a job as you can do of, of maintaining a kind of sandbox feel yet still having an underlying plot to it. Um, I was able to utilize some of uh, the Caves of Chaos from Keep on the Borderlands during part of it to interject, but otherwise I've just used uh, the Night Below set, and it's been good, it's been challenging, it's been fun. So, so far, so good. And I know it's going to get a lot weirder here, especially as the party gains, uh, you know, gets higher and higher level. I know it's just going to be more and more complex, but I feel pretty good about where we've been so far. So that's the end of book one of Night Below. And um, we may have some leveling up. If not, we'll have some people getting close. So we'll see what happens for that. So anyway, I want to again say to all the uh, the gamer dads out there happy father's day to you hope you all have a great day with your families appreciate again everybody listening and checking out the show if you want to send me a, a voicemail on anchor feel free otherwise you can email me frothsoft froth sof at gmail.com check out the thought eater blog frothsoft froth sof dnd.blogspot.com huge thank you to the folks backing me on Patreon. Appreciate y'all tremendously. Thank you for your support. It's only a dollar a month if someone wants to check it out. Patreon.com forward slash thought eater. 
I know it seems like forever since I had a cyanic platypus zine out, but I finally, I've got the scans in, I've got the map identified and I'm, I'm working on it. So I've got another extra cup. I'm taking it Monday and Tuesday off. I was supposed to nail down the car by then too, but I'm hoping to get the layout and everything done and maybe get it submitted to drive through. So that's imminent coming soon. Psionic platypus zine number two. Next you'll hear from me is a, Top three Tuesday on Tuesday. I feel good about this one. It's all call-in based. And uh, it's going to be one of those really no RPG content. It's all kind of music and movie stuff. And so it should be something different, something fun. So I hope you check that out. And nothing else much to say other than Logan, make it funky. Sickly platypus, a psychic grenade Zeroing in on your mental trade Gonna help you escape from the grind Thought eater gonna blow your mind Boom, 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 boom.